Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Grab your Bible, go with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24. Brandon, are we good? Are we going to have any more struggle? Okay, good. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. I've preached along these lines uh, before here at the church, but uh, I think it was back in the Cedar Bluff days, I'm told. And I don't know, I I woke up this morning, I was going to preach something completely different. And I woke up this morning, and this was in my spirit uh, uh, deeply, this, this, this text and this story. So we're just going to go with that. And if, if I have preached this before and you were at the service that time I preached it, just pretend like you've never heard it before in your life. Just be like, oh, my God, that was so powerful. All right. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. I'm going to start reading with verse number 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24, verse number 13, records these words. And behold, two of them, hey, Brandon, bump me up just a little bit if you would. And behold, two of them, meaning two disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. That's a good King James word for you to know. Three score furlongs means about seven and a half miles. Two disciples leaving Jerusalem, walking back home to Emmaus for seven and a half miles. And they talked together of all of these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were held that they should not know him. And he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and you are sad? And one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? You got to read it with some attitude. You can't read, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Do you not know what has happened? You got to have some umph behind it. Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? What rock did you crawl out from under precisely? What do you mean? What things have happened? Where have you been for the last week? Jesus of Nazareth, who we all thought to be the Messiah, has been crucified and he's dead. And now not only is he dead, we can't find him anymore. What communication? are these that you walk in our sad are you a stranger in Jerusalem do you not know the things which have come to pass the last couple of days Jesus said what things they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they've crucified him watch verse 21 but we trusted that it was him that was going to redeem all of Israel. Brandon, I need a little more monitor, buddy. But we trusted that it was him that was going to redeem all of Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the tomb when they found not his body. They came, and you know them. They said they saw a vision of angels. The angel said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but they still didn't see his body. And Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, watch, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things 
concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village where they went. Watch this line. It's, I love this line. And he made as though he would have gone further. He wasn't really going anywhere. He made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, watch now, that he took bread. Everybody say took. Say it like you're Pentecostal. Took. Then he blessed it. Say blessed. He break. Say break. And then he gave it. Say gave. He took. He took. Blessed. One more time. He's so good. Verse 31. And immediately their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn with us while, we t- while he talked with us by the way, while he opened us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour after having walked seven and a half miles. They rose up in the middle of the night and they ran back to Jerusalem another seven and a half miles. And they found the 11 gathered together and those that were with him. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way. Watch this line and how he was known of them in the way he broke the bread. Amen. Amen. When you get to the end of the Old Testament, your Bible ends on a high note with there being all sorts of promises and all sorts of problems. If you're ever going to serve God for real, It won't take you too terribly long to realize that any real believer has to walk through a life of seeming contradictions. Things that don't add up. How can a great man of God be a great man of God, pastor 15,000, yet lose his own children? It's contradictions. It's the same thing we experience when we get into the New Testament. You've got God telling them that I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a deliverer. He's going to be wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace is going to be upon him. By stripes, you're going to be healed. You're going to be liberated from the captor. You're going to be set free. And then, as after the Old Testament ends with all of those promises, they are still bound. They are still in exile. They've still not returned to the promised land. How do you deal with God told me this, but this is what it's really like. I know he wants me to have a godly marriage filled with his peace and blessing, but we're on the verge of divorce. How do I deal with a promise and a problem at the same time? That's why you have to be really careful when you start throwing rocks at somebody else when they're going through something because it might not be that they don't serve God for real. It might just be they're walking through a contradiction. Is there anybody with me in here this morning? I want to proclaim it from the housetops. I rebuke that judgmental, pharisaical, religious spirit that wants to throw a rock at somebody every time they hit a little bump in the road. Sit your hips down and start throwing mercy where you used to throw rocks because all of us are going to have some contradictions. All of us are going to have some contradictions. You hearing what I'm saying? 
All of us are going to have Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest men of faith to ever live, wrote books about healing the sick, cleansing the leper, raising the dead, casting out devils. His own daughter was deaf and she never got healed. And our religious spirit would say, well, he's not legitimate. Maybe it's just a contradiction. Watch me now, I'm about to cuss. Maybe it's something called life. Because Christians, we don't have an answer for life. We don't have a a weapon in our back for life. Oh, if it's a devil, we rebuke it, cast it out, anoint it, plead the blood, roll around, levitate, walk around the kitchen table, play worship music. But when it's life, we don't know what to do. Maybe you losing your job wasn't the devil. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's a contradiction. And in the middle of your brokenness, you still got to stand up and believe that God is going to be faithful to do everything that he promised. That's what you get when you get to the end of the Old Testament. You get God having promised something, and then he doesn't say another word for 400 years. Could you imagine how difficult it would be to be a, grand, a great-grandfather telling your great-grandson after generations, son, I don't know why God's not come through yet. I don't have an answer for you. All I can tell you is we still have to believe that God's going to do everything that he promised he was going to do. Some of you, you're not wrestling with the devil. You're just wrestling with life. And we have a Christianity that makes no room for people to have some bumps in the road. You are either perfect or you are unsaved. Y'all better help me preach. I done preached this once. Y'all better help me preach it again. You hearing what I'm saying? We don't have an answer for life. Somebody gets pregnant and miscarries. It's the devil. Maybe it was life. Maybe there is no good answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you know, brother, the devil's a god of the... Maybe it's life. Maybe it's a contradiction. My mother-in-law had a dear friend whose uh, child, nine years old, got struck with leukemia. God, that's just so unimaginable. It's just every parent's worst nightmare to even think about that, right? We're not supposed to bury our kids. They're supposed to bury us. That's the way that's supposed to go. Y'all awake this morning? Had leukemia. They were in the word of faith movement. They named it, claimed it, blabbed it, stabbed it, grabbed it, confessed it, possessed it, walked around it, anointed it, declared it, all the stuff. Baby still died. Two weeks after the baby was dead, my mother-in-law went to a conference. She saw him on the front row, both hands uplifted, singing, how great thou art. Because maybe we don't have an answer for life. Maybe it's just a contradiction. And in the middle of the confusion, we still have to believe that God is still God. Can I get a witness from somebody? That's what you get when you get into the gospels. You find disciples that for three and a half years had laid down everything. They gave up their businesses. They gave up their families. They quit work. They, 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 left, they left everything to follow Jesus. For three and a half years, they were convinced this is it. All of Israel has been waiting in expectation for 400 years for the promised Messiah to come. You know how excited you get after something comes through after two weeks of believing for it? Okay, they've been waiting 400 years and now Jesus shows up on the scene and they're thinking, oh my God, this, this is it. This is finally it. He is walking all through Jerusalem doing the work of the kingdom and they know this is the Messiah. God knew God was gonna stay true and that's exactly what we do when God comes through for us. We're like, I knew God was gonna do it. 
We never talk about how many times we backslid on the way to God doing it. We just thought, I knew God was gonna do it. It was good, praise God. <laughs> Are y'all okay this morning? Y'all gonna have to help a brother out. Are you with me? So they're all saying, this is, this is Jesus, Jesus is here. This is the Messiah. This is the one. He's, you, ever, you ever been so disappointed and, 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 and your hope's been so deferred that you wait so long and finally you think this is it and your heart floods with hope at the thought, this is it. That's how they felt, Jesus. This is it. For three and a half years, we're watching you do everything that God promised you were gonna do and now you're dead. You're dead. Not only are you dead, we can't even find your body. You're dead. We thought this was it. And now we realize this ain't it. You ever been disappointed like that? This is it. So this ain't it. I've seen, I've seen married couples where there's, there's infidelity in America. I've seen young wives come to me and say, my husband's been unfaithful. My, this, this is not what I signed up for, but God did it. He came down to the altar and he got transformed and they think this is it. Jeez. Only to find out he's still talking to those girls on Facebook. This ain't it. And then their heart is, is, is shattered to a million pieces all over again. You ever been disappointed like that? That's exactly where the disciples are. We thought this was it. We gave up our families for you. We gave up our businesses for you. We gave up everything we thought and we believed just to follow you. And you look like this was it for three and a half years and now you're dead. So you got disciples leaving Jerusalem, walking back home to Emmaus, gonna have to pick up the pieces of their life again because they thought this was it and it was not. And now they get to explain to their families that they have shunned for three and a half years that you were right and we were wrong. Now they gotta go try to mend some relationships because they had no doubt they had people in their life saying you don't need to be following this man around in the desert all the time. And they're saying, no, you don't understand. This is the Messiah. And now they get to go back and say, we were stupid to believe that this was the guy. After all, there were dozens of people that came through Jerusalem every year saying, I'm the Messiah. And Rome killed them like they killed everybody. We thought this was it. But it's not it. So you're going to go back home. You ever met those people that they don't actually like to say I'm sorry? They just like to quietly change their behavior? <laughs> my wife's in here this morning. So it's like when you get in an argument with your spouse and it's like, I'm right, but for some reason, the bigger issue becomes my tone about being right. It's like, yeah, you're right, but you didn't have to go say it like that. So yeah, you were right, but you were wrong as you were right. And you're just, my God, what? What? Women detect tone in text. On my way home from the store, can you come help me get the groceries? K, what's the matter? <laughs> Nothing. Are you sure? Yes. Promise? Positive. I think there's, there's gonna be something wrong if you don't stop asking me what's wrong. You wanna know what's wrong? You won't quit asking me what's wrong and it's getting on my everlasting nerve and I didn't have a problem, but now, bless God, there's a whole thing going on. Yeah. 
Some of y'all young people, y'all ain't married yet. Write it down. Take good notes. It's coming, your, coming to a house near you. <laughs> My wife gets mad at me for things that I do to her in her dreams. I was being chased by an ax murderer and you were playing golf. And you know what? That's the problem. That's what you would do. You'd be playing golf. Am I right, Travis? I literally just woke up. I literally just woke up. And for, I, as soon as I woke up, I was the worst husband ever. I literally did nothing but sleep. And now we got to go to counseling because in the, in the dream, there was a man killing you with a knife and I was trying to play golf. Y'all can laugh. <laughs> walking back to Jerusalem, to, walking back to a mess to pick up the pieces. And as they're walking back with their hearts broken, they're walking back saying, I cannot believe we've followed this man for three and a half years. How stupid must we have been to follow this guy? We know better. We know better. He was saying crazy things. He was saying things like destroy this temple and in three days we'll raise it up. Well, here we are. Ain't nobody getting raised up. He was saying crazy stuff. And, that, and then Jesus walks beside him and says, what y'all talking about? And then they get an attitude. What do you mean, what are we talking about? Where have you been? They don't know it's Jesus. They just think it's some, some person living in the backwoods asking, what's the problem? Well, what had happened was is our whole life has been shattered, just so you know. And your Bible says that their eyes were restrained that they could not see him. They could not see him, not because he was hiding, they could not see him because they were hurting. Because it's hard to see God right when you're hurting. Because believing God hurts. And it's hard to see him right when you're going through something. That's the same story when the Bible says that they were on a boat in the middle of a storm and Jesus walks out across the water and they look and they say, behold, it is a spirit. They knew, they knew what Jesus looked like, but they didn't see Jesus, they saw a spirit because when you are in the middle of a storm, it is hard to recognize God. It is hard to recognize God's hand in the middle of a process when you've been devastated and brokenhearted. It's the same thing that John the Baptist went through when he stands by the river of Jordan and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then he looks at the religious people and rebukes them and says, you're a generation of vipers and I ought to cut you down and throw you in the fire. He's so bold and he has so much conviction. But then the night before he gets his head cut off, he is in prison and he looks at his disciples and he says, go ask him. Are you the one that's supposed to come? Or do we look for another? What happened, John? You used to stand up on the riverbank saying this is the Lamb of God. And now because you've been through something, your conviction's been shaken and you don't know if it's God or not. You ever been through something that shook you up so bad you started asking yourself questions about God you never thought you'd ask? Yeah, don't get holy on me this morning. You ever been through something that you thought, I don't even know if God is real. How could I be going through something like this? And then you gotta tell the kids, zip up your Bible, we're going to church. And then you're thinking, I don't even know what the point of all this is because I'm broken and I'm devastated and I'm hurting. Because believing 
hurts. So they walk for seven and a half miles. You know how long it take me to walk seven and a half miles? Days. <laughs> Cardio's not my thing. They walk seven and a half miles. And I'm, after, I'm asking myself this question. How, how do you not say, are y'all with me? Hang in here, I'm sending you, I'm taking you somewhere. I'm taking you on a little journey, hang in here with me. I have to ask myself the question, you're walking with Jesus for seven and a half miles and you don't know that it's him. You're brokenhearted over the fact that he's dead and he's walking with you the entire time. Because sometimes when you feel like God's dead, he's walking with you the entire time. Glory to God, he's walking with you. And I have to ask myself the question, can you not recognize that it's him by his countenance? Does, does, does this not ring a bell? Does this not look familiar to you? I mean, even Thomas told us, you can look at the, 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 the scars in his hands and see where the nail prints were. Did, did you not recognize him by his countenance? If you didn't recognize him by his countenance, did you not recognize him by the way he walked, by the way he carried himself? Could you not recognize that you were walking with, you've walked with him for three and a half years. You know what, how he carries himself. You know how he conducts himself. You're walking for seven and a half miles. Could you not tell that it was him? He was not hiding. They were hurting. If you can't tell that it's Jesus by his countenance and you can't tell it's Jesus by his walk could you not tell it was him by his voice did it not sound familiar to you the way he would say certain things and talk about the kingdom I mean he started talking to you all the way at the at Moses he said I'm gonna help you I'm gonna start at the beginning and I'm gonna go real slow and I'm gonna teach you what I've always taught you I'm gonna teach you about me could you not detect it was him by his voice? Even a mom can tell you if she hears her baby's voice over a room full of other babies, she knows it's hers because you recognize the voice. If you didn't recognize the voice, did you not recognize the message? He's preaching himself. He is talking to you about himself and you still never see that it is him after seven and a half miles of listening to the greatest preacher in the world. It's not like he's a bad communicator. You get to listen to him for seven and a half miles and you still don't know that it's him. And your Bible says they finally, as it becomes dark, they reach Emmaus. And your Bible said Jesus made as though he would have gone. He wasn't going anywhere. He made as though he would have gone further. All right, see you guys later. No, Jesus, don't go. All right, that's fine. And your Bible says this, that they sat down to eat. You with me? You with me? They sat down to eat. It's what we call today communion. Because in the Bible, when they had communion, it wasn't the little. Wasn't that. It was a meal. They sat down to commune together. And then your Bible says he took the bread. Then he. Then he. Then he. He. Don't be saying, don't bless me. You guys, he. And your Bible says immediately their eyes were opened and they knew that it was Jesus. I preached this in France. The way they say immediately their eyes were open was voila. Immediately their eyes were open and they knew that it was Jesus. I got to ask the question, what happened at that table that seven and a half miles of preaching didn't accomplish? 
Are y'all with me that you can't just read the Bible? You got to read the Bible. You got to ask the Bible questions. What happened at that table, that seven and a half miles of walking and talking through the entire Old Testament together? What happened at that table that seven and a half miles couldn't accomplish? Your Bible says he took the bread, then he blessed it, then he broke it, then he gave it. And immediately when I read the text, my mind jumps all the way over to the story when he got ready to feed 5,000 people. You know what your Bible says? It says a little boy brought his lunch and Jesus took the boy's lunch. Then he blessed the boy's lunch. Then he broke the boy's lunch. Then he gave the boy's lunch. On the eve of the crucifixion, the night before he was crucified, you and I know it as the Last Supper. Your Bible says he sat around the table with his disciples and that he took the bread and then he blessed the bread and then he broke the bread and then he gave the bread because whenever Jesus gets ready to commune with somebody he takes us all through the exact same process he takes us then he blesses us then he breaks us so he can give us and everybody in this room you are somewhere in the order of God he takes you he blesses you he breaks you then he gives you you can take any character in your Bible and God walks every one of them through the same process. Take Joseph, for example. Your Bible says that Joseph is, has dreams about his brothers and his mother and his father bowing down and serving him because God was taking him. And then his father puts on him a coat of many colors because now God was blessing him. And your Bible said that his brothers tried to strip the coat off of him because they thought if we can take his coat, we can take his favor. What they did not realize is the coat did not make the man, the man made the coat. You can take my stuff, but you don't get my favor. That's a whole nother message all by itself. And then he gets thrown into a pit because God is breaking him. But as he's in the pit, your Bible says he starts interpreting dreams and becomes the prime minister of all of Egypt because God took him, then he blessed him, then he broke him, then he gave him. I came in here this morning to encourage you in some twisted kind of way that you are somewhere in the order of God. If you're in the taking, good. It's wonderful. Cause the blessing's next. I thought maybe that'd get a, a, a halle. Cause the blessing's next. If you're in the blessing, I'm going to pray for you. Because the breaking's next. But if you're in the breaking, good. Because the giving's next. Because until God breaks you, he cannot give you at the level he's called to give you on. Because in the breaking is when he multiplies and qualifies you. Oh, we want to reach the world, but can't pass a simple test of our own attitude. God's got to break that attitude out of you before he can send you to the world. It is not the taking that qualifies you. It is not the blessing that qualifies you. Anybody can do that stuff. It is the breaking that makes you who you are. I wish I had somebody to give me a witness on that. 
It is the breaking that makes you who you are. That's why we got to say yes to God in every single season that we're in. I don't care if it's the taking, the blessing, the breaking, the giving. We say yes to it because I know this is part of the process. If me and you are ever going to commune together, we think prayer is putting on our iPod, laying in the floor and putting some oil on something. Your Bible calls communion. When God takes you, he blesses you, then he breaks you so he can give you. That's communion because you ain't prayed right until you've prayed going through something. No, don't, no, 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 no. Let me, let me, let me rewind that and play that again. You ain't prayed right until you've prayed going through something. Because some people, they just walk in, Lord, I bless you, Lord. Sometimes when you're going through something, you ain't even got words. You just walk around and a groan starts coming out of you. You just walk around and start saying, oh, Lord. Oh, God, you know. Oh, Jesus. You know, God. You know everything going on. I ain't even got the vocabulary to ask you to do what I need you to do. All I came to say is, oh, God. Oh, God, I need you to do what only you can do because you're breaking me. You think prayer is cutting on the instrumental music, talking about hallelujah. That ain't prayer. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. That's what Paul meant when he said, you'll pray with groanings that you can't even utter in intelligent speech. Oh, I'm not even talking about praying in tongues. I'm talking about just walking around something coming out of you. Oh, God. Oh, God, we ask you to move. Oh, God, you know my situation. Oh, God, do what only you can do. That's called communion. Taking blessing. I remember my taking season. I remember it vividly. 17, 18, 19 years old. Everywhere I went, people would give me a prophetic word. You're going to be used by God. Everywhere I went. People didn't even believe in prophecy. They'd say, come up to me and say stupid things like, I don't know why I'm telling you this because that feels weird, but I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that you're going to be used. But nobody told me about the breaking so everybody walking around talking about you're going to be used. You're going to be used. There's a hand of God on your life. You got the mantle of Charles Finney, John Knox, Smith. So many mantles can't even breathe. You got this and that and the other. And I, you know what I started to believe? I started to believe I'm awesome. That's what happens. That's what happens when those, you see those preachers that walk in, you can't talk to them. Right. Don't talk to me. I'm under the anointing. You're so star-spangled awesome that you can't say hello to somebody. I've been in those meetings. I've been in those meetings when you walk down the hallway, they have to put up a divider because God forbid you make eye contact with the man of God. I remember the taking. I remember the blessing. When doors started opening in my early 20s, getting to be used by God and travel the world and all of my dreams are coming true and I'm getting to preach on TBN, glory to God, because that was my dream and I was up there, praise the Lord, everybody. I'm so honored to you be here and I never did the phone thing. Y'all know what the phone thing is? Y'all don't know what the phone thing is. Good, I'm glad you don't. And I thought, this is it. Then my life fell apart. You know what I thought? This ain't it. I thought, this is it. 22 years old, getting to fly on private airplanes, travel the world, 
meeting all of my preaching heroes, preaching in churches of 10 and 12 and 15 and 22,000. This is it. I'm in the blessing. Nobody told me about the breaking. Nobody was Instagramming the breaking. Nobody was Facebooking the breaking. Nobody wrote books about the breaking. People wrote books about, this is how awesome I am. This is how rich I am. This is how good looking and powerful I am. Nobody wrote a book about, I had to go through hell for God to use me in any sort of way whatsoever. I've told you this story before, I'll tell you again. I was a young man in my early 20s preaching. I was preaching, just doing my thing, and some dear saint, just some old woman of God walked up to me. In my early 20s, when you know everything, she walked up to me and said, oh, Brother Casey. She said, oh, what a gift. She said, but oh, the things you must suffer. And I thought, woman, get out of my face. Do I need to tell you about all the mantles that I got? At 37, oh, the things you must suffer if you want to know God for real. You can have your Sunday morning Sunday school God or you can know God for real. Oh, glory to God. You can have your three fast songs, two slow song, 20 minute sermonette so you can get to the dinette and have a cigarette God or you can know the God of the Bible and the only way you do that is your Bible says they knew him in the way that he broke the bread because it's in the breaking that you know him. It's in the breaking that you call on him. It's in the breaking that he shows himself strong on your behalf. He took the bread. He blessed. He he God took me in my teens, blessed me in my 20s, broke me in my early 30s so he could send me to Knoxville and give me in my 40s. I've preached in much bigger places than this. I've preached in places that have more people on staff than are in this room in both services combined. It's not about the flash to me. It's about there's broken people and I've been through something and I think I can help you. I think I know the way to coming out of this. Now I wish I had somebody. This is what I've learned about God. God treats us like an old typewriter. Wes, you guys come on up. God treats us like an old typewriter. You don't know what a typewriter, Google it. Some of y'all don't know what a typewriter is. You're looking at me funny. You remember what a typewriter is? Y'all remember that? That's what God does to us. God takes us, then what does he do? Blesses us, then he, then he gives us. And then while we're writing our book about God giving us, and while we're traveling the road talking about how God's using us, you know what God's gonna do? And then he's gonna take us again. Then he's gonna bless us again. Then he's gonna break us deeper so he can give us at a greater level. And then while we're telling everybody what God's doing through our life, you only tell you what God's gonna do? 
He's gonna take us again. Are you hearing me this morning? He's gonna take us again. Then he's gonna bless us again. Then he's gonna break us again. Then he's gonna give us again because that's how we know God in the way that he breaks us. Stand up on your feet. In your Bible, he never violates his own order. He never, he never blesses, then gives. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Blessing and giving just over and over and over again. He doesn't bless, then take, then give, then break. He doesn't break, then take, then bless, then give. He doesn't give, then take, then break, then bless. He takes you. Then he blesses you. Then he breaks you so he can give you. Your only job is in every season, say yes. Oh, it's easy to say yes in the, in the blessing. Lord, I surrender. Right? Raise at the job. Yes, Lord, I surrender. Not my will. Yours be done. Right? Getting married to your boo thing. Y'all been planning it. Yes, Lord, your will be done. Lose your job. Now, wait a second, Lord. Go through hell. Now, Lord, the preacher done said, we can have whatever we say. And you are. Because you ask him to use you. But before he can use you, he's got to kill you. If you ever ask God, Lord, are you trying to kill me? His answer is, yes. Absolutely. I'm trying to kill your way. I'm trying to kill your ambition. I'm trying to kill the things in you that you don't see that can hold you back from becoming everything I've called you to become. Am I trying to kill you? That's precisely what I'm doing. Your only job is to say yes. Lift those hands up to him. Lord, in every season, in every season, we say yes. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.